listening to the Youth Conversation Podcast, hosted by the Johns Creek Chapter of the High School Democrats of America, where we talk about issues pertinent to young people in politics. This is Badanj Pandey. I'm a junior in high school, and I'm also the program's director for the Johns Creek, Georgia Chapter of the High School Democrats of America. High School Democrats of America is a youth-led organization of young Democrats with the goal of getting high schoolers involved in politics. Today, we'll be talking about our guests' journey into the political realm, the importance of state-level elections, as well as how you can get involved. We're so glad to be joined by Georgia State Representative Sam Park of District 101. For those of you who don't know Representative Park, he's an attorney for Positive Impact Health Centers, which is a nonprofit organization working to end the HIV and AIDS epidemic in Georgia. And in 2016, he historically unseated a three-term Republican chairwoman to become the first Asian American Democrat and openly gay man elected to the Georgia state legislature. Sam, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Badanch. It's it's a pleasure to be here with y'all. So I was reading up on your bio and the most striking thing to me was the humble beginning that you came from. You followed the path of an immigrant. Your grandparents uh, were refugees from the Korean War, and they afforded you these opportunities to go to law school and go to college. So what inspired you in particular to get into politics, especially at such a relatively young age? So for me, um, you know, I, my, my start down um, the path of public service began during law school. Um, I took a course um, where I drafted my first bill uh, to help uh, facilitate skilled nursing services for medically fragile children. And that whole experience taught me the importance um, and, and how much of a positive impact you could have through the legislative process. Um, you, you, you can make an incredible amount of um, change and lift up people who really need that kind of work. And so I really fell in love with policy, with the legislative process, found it entirely fascinating. Um, in terms of running for office myself, um, that came more through, you know, challenging circumstances. Uh, back in 2014, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer and it and her battle um, inspired me to to fight for other Georgians who didn't have access to healthcare uh, because she was given a fighting chance because of public health insurance, Medicaid and Medicare. Um, and so um, inspired by her fight, I decided to enter into the political arena uh, to fight for others so that they could also have a fighting chance. But it truly does seem that that was the, the flame that caused you to create history. Now, what would you say to people that don't necessarily think that what they're doing on the state level, or maybe what you're doing on the state level, is not necessarily having an impact as to what national legislation does. What do you say to those people? I would say come down to the Georgia State Legislature and see what the what we do. Um, you know, all the laws that we pass, they they affect the lives of 10 million Georgians across the state. And of course, you know, Georgia being one of the original 13 colonies, but also the eighth largest, most populous state in the country, you know, we're the heart of the South. And if we can change our state, we have an opportunity to lead the way and begin building a new South. Um, the, the only way, of course, in which that's possible is through politics, right? 
I know politics can be very distasteful. There's a lot of mudslinging and back and forth rhetoric, um, but politics drives policy. And I think the, the, the part, politics is also very difficult, but the part in which I find inspiration through the political process is that, especially in our democracy, we're talking about empowering people. It's not about one person. It's not about one candidate. It's about all of us. Uh, joining in this this and, and using the freedoms that we have, uh, our, our right to vote and, and electing leaders to effectuate change. Um, one specific policy that I can highlight, and I can highlight many, um, but one would be Medicaid expansion. That's a decision made at the state level. And if we had leaders who wanted to actually expand access to health care for Georgians today, they could do so for more than 500,000 people. Right. But because of our Republican leadership, um, they've, they've refused to do that. And, and that's exacerbated a lot of underlying health conditions in our state from uh, having the highest maternal mortality rate, meaning, you know, in Georgia, it's the most dangerous place for a woman to have a child, which is terrible. Um, the opioid epidemic, and of course, the HIV AIDS epidemic, that's all exacerbated by the, by the lack of access to health care. Um, so there's an enormous amount of good that you can do here in, in, in the state and at the state level. Uh, one that directs that directly benefits high school students and college students as, as y'all are planning on um, entering into this next chapter of your life is the Hope Scholarship. Um, I was able to go to college, Georgia State University, um, and not go into any debt because of the Hope Scholarship. Um, and then, of course, you know, we could talk about guns on college campuses as well, which is a decision made at the state level. Um, I, I would also add. Um, the closer you are to the people, right, when it comes to local, state, and, and federal uh, policy and, and politics, the closer you are to the people, the more of an influence you can have, right? So, you know, even if you can't get your congressman or woman to, to you know, support a certain policy, you can have a much more of an impact holding them accountable at the state level and certainly at the local level. And there's also the factor that a lot of the bills and the legislation that's passed on the state level and at the Georgia State Capitol, it's very, it has very specific wording. So I guess if you took a look at um, some of the bills on the national level, it's very broad wording because of how this, uh, how our federal government is designed such that it gives the states the ability to implement what's, um, what people come up with on the national level. So I noticed a lot of the bills that are passed at the Georgia Capitol, it has very specific language. And that language pertains to people in very specific communities. So I think you're absolutely right that it affects those in specific regional areas. And the closer you are to the policymaking, the more it affects your life. So arguably, the Georgia state elections could potentially be more important than the national elections. I would agree entirely with that with that notion. Um, the other thing I think to consider is redistricting, right? Per our constitution, every 10 years, uh, the census is done. Um, the people are counted and we, we're going through that process right now. So I would urge y'all to complete your census, go online to census.gov. They're gonna stop counting on September 30th, but based on those numbers, they're going to completely redraw the lines for the state house, the state senate, and the U.S. Congress, um, or, or for our congressional districts here in Georgia. So really, over the next 75 days, depending on whether or not Democrats are successful in flipping the Georgia House, 
we are fighting for the next decade of, of politics, of, of Georgia politics right now. Um, so with that, and, and that's, a, again, a power that the state possesses per our constitution. Um, so again, you know, the, the election this November is just so critically important. You mentioned redistribution and redistricting um, in the state of Georgia. And you, we also talked a little bit about your background. Um, and I think that brings us to the elephant in the room. So as you know, there's one of the, one of the largest calls for racial equality since the 60s happening right now as we speak. And a lot of people have discussed the American dream, whether or not the American dream is still alive or whether or not it was just some, some form of bait to get immigrants to come to the United States. Looking at the opportunal inequities that exist within the state of Georgia and in the nation, is the American dream still alive? I would say absolutely yes. Um, you know, my the life that I've lived, I think, is an example of the American dream um, in which, you know, I don't come from money. I don't come from a politically connected background. Uh, my grandparents as refugees from war started from scratch. Um, my aunt was born in an ambulance on the side of the road and, you know, rural South Korea. Um, and and because of the opportunities uh, my family was able to have, and because of the sacrifices they made, I had an opportunity going to, to public education through the Hope Scholarship uh, to be the first attorney in my family, um, and then to run for office um, and, and to win, right? Nowhere in this world, um, and no, in no country, I think, are you able to find stories like that. Um, the beauty of it all, is that the, the American dream, and I think this is an important uh, thing to understand, the American dream is not um, a one-size-fits-all uh, situation, right? The American dream is different for each and every one of us, but more than anything, it's an opportunity to pursue the path that we feel passionate about. It, it, it's the opportunity uh, to, to thrive, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are. Um, that's what it's all about. Now, of course, especially as we're as we're reminded again of the longstanding systemic racial inequities that exist in our system, we have to understand that the system has never been perfect, right? Our democracy has always been imperfect. But at the same time, the system in which we have been given has allowed us to continue uh, to make progress. It's that journey in which all of us are a part of as Americans and which we continue to perfect our nation and, and continue that march for justice, to expand freedoms for all, to address those inequities um, that, that, that we've also inherited from the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow um, that we must continue to fight against. And it's through the democratic process. Um, it's through the power to vote that so many people have sacrificed their lives for us to have that we are able to make that kind of progress by, by electing leaders who will fight for us and ultimately control the levers of power um, to write the laws uh, that would prohibit discrimination, that, that would ensure our rights and our freedoms going forward. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's such an important thing because I know certainly for myself when I was, you know, in high school, all of that felt so distant, right? All, you know, the whole lawmaking process, it, it just didn't feel accessible to me. Um, but the reality, and, and I think I've learned this, um, you know, personally while I was on the campaign trail, um, again, coming from very humble origins, 
um, is that democracy is alive and well. Um, even going back 2000 years ago in which you're just having those conversations, um, you know, building trust, building collective power, um, that's how we're able to effectuate change in a lasting permanent manner, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, if anybody says my vote doesn't matter, um, you know, the, the process has always been flawed, I'm not gonna get involved, I don't wanna get my hands dirty, you know, I, I would push back very strongly against those notions because if you don't use the power that you have, um, those in charge, Republicans, Trump, Kemp, they're going to use your power, right? They're gonna take the power, maintain the status quo, and, and, and you know, if not, make it worse. So, so especially in this moment in time, we have to stand and fight and use the power we have, elect leaders who we know are gonna fight for us in order for us to overcome the many challenges that we're currently facing from the, from the pandemic to the economic crisis, uh, to, to income and wealth inequality, which is being driven by the acceleration of, of uh, technology, and of course the existential threat in which we all face climate change. All of those challenges, we can address um, through our own collective power if we engage in the political process and actually use um, you know, our power by voting. People went to the polls and voted during World War I. They went to the polls and voted during World War II. We can safely go to the polls and vote during COVID-19. As you know, uh, our president, he's threatening the democratic process by claiming that mail-in ballots are completely rigged. He draws a distinction between absentee ballots and mail-in ballots. And um, with everything happening with the postmaster general, this poses an obvious threat to our democracy. And how exactly do we eradicate that? If the people in power are the ones rigging the institutions that we use to get them out of power in the first place? So I think one, we have to recognize that voter suppression has existed throughout our entire country's history, right? In the very beginning, the only folks who could vote were white male property owners. Then slowly but surely, it was expanded to just all white men. Um, it took the hard work uh, to ensure the right for women to vote for African-Americans to have the freedom to vote on a bridge, for Asian-Americans, you know, it, it's important to know our history. As Asian-Americans through the Chinese Exclusion Act, we were prevented from being um, US citizens in the first place, right? Asian-Americans, we were the first undocumented immigrants who first came to this country 100, 150 years ago as migrant workers, right? That's our legacy. And, and part of our legacy is also expanding that right to vote because there is so much power in it. And again, all of these systemic efforts, especially by those in power, are currently trying to make it more and more complicated to vote. They're doing that for a reason, right? Because they are terrified of the people actually using the power that they have and voting, because they know that their policies don't reflect the will of the people. So in order to combat that, I would say we have to vote, especially over the next few months. Um, we have to engage um, and and you know, make sure that everyone that we know is registered to vote. And then we have to vote out um, and turn out like, like never before. We have to overwhelm the system, 
right? Because in that way, they won't be able to deny the results. And they are going to do everything that they can to, to suppress the vote, make it harder for us to vote. But the more they try, right, the more we have to stand our ground and continue to fight, right? Every single vote counts. And, and again, the reason why there's so much debate right now over, over voting, and voting should not be this difficult, right? Um, but the reason why they're trying to suppress the vote is because, again, there's power in it. So, so you know, cherish it and, and to the best of our ability, use it uh, to, to bring about the change that we're demanding. I think that's a good point you made, that the fact that they're trying to suppress the votes should go to show how much power one vote has. And that's absolutely right. But what about the people already in power? As you know, there was a bit of policy gridlock that happened on Capitol Hill where neither side could come to a consensus about the next round of stimulus checks. And because of it, because of that time, families are going to suffer. Despite Trump's executive order, there will be unequivocally families who will bear the brunt of this, uh, of this policy gridlock. So those are representatives that, all, that we've already voted for. What about them? What about that policy gridlock? Hold them accountable. Right. Every two years, that, that is the bedrock of our democracy through which we, the people, are able to retain our freedom and that we don't have a dictator. Right. If, if our if we entrust someone with with the ability to make laws for us and they violate that trust, get them out of office. If the folks who are running in your district, uh, whether it's at the local, state or national level, if you don't like the candidates, you can run for office yourself. That's the freedom we have in our democracy, which is something precious, which is something that doesn't exist everywhere in the world. Um, now, all of that to say, you know, the, the hyper-partisan era in which we're currently in that causes a lot of the gridlock, um, you know, there are, it's a multifaceted complex challenge, right? Um, that, that requires a comprehensive solution that would at the very least include taking money out of politics, having independent redistricting reform, um, you know, the, the social media that amplifies an enormous amount of misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theories. Um, again, it's a challenging environment in which we're in. Um, but, but all of that to say, um, I have confidence. I have hope in the American people, right? That's part of our legacy and history as well, in which we've been able to overcome even the most dire of circumstances, even the most difficult of times. Um, and I think we have to recognize that now is our time especially as young people, right? Now is the time for us to lead um, and to make things better because we know that we can make things better. So as a high schooler, as a young person, I've noticed that a lot of people my age, and of course I'm not of voting age yet, but there are plenty of people who are seniors in high school and they will be of voting age come election time. And this goes for a lot of college students as well, college freshmen, college sophomores. Um, they traditionally stay non-political. They want to be neutral. And the reason for this, they claim, is because they don't want to create social conflicts between them and other people that they know. Uh, they don't want politics to be a barrier in their friendship with someone else um, or in their relationship with someone else. I guess in part, that is true. Politics shouldn't stop people from socializing. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be a gridlock, per se. But what is the importance of this election for those people who traditionally don't want to be political, 
who traditionally don't speak out about what they believe in, what their values are, and what their political ideologies are. What does this election mean for them? I think we live in a nation in which we have the freedom not to get involved in the political process if we don't, if we don't want to. Um, but I think that in and of itself is at risk, right? The, the freedoms that we have uh, and, and, and the rights that are protected through our democratic process are literally at risk, as we've seen over the past few years, all of our democratic institutions under constant assault by the Trump administration, whether it's uh, the, the right uh, to free press, uh, whether it's free and fair elections, whether it's just the post office itself going on right now. Um, if you want to preserve your right to, to disengage, um, you know, vote this November. Um, maybe, maybe that's kind of a uh, circular argument. Um, but I think, you know, in this day and age, um, like none of us can afford to sit on the sidelines, um, simply put. Um, so first and foremost, I would say, you know, you don't have to be constantly arguing with one another. Um, you know, and, 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 and that's not inherently what politics is, right? Um, politics is the art of relationships. Um, and in and, and the legislative capacity, as an example, in order to stop a bill or to move a bill forward, um, you need a coalition. And in order to build a coalition, you have to find common ground. Um, through the political process, you know, we're bringing different ideas, competing ideas. And sometimes it's going to get very heated because we ought to be passionate about the issues that we care about. Because politics is also personal. Um, but, but don't allow conflict to necessarily dissuade you from engaging in the process, right? It, you know, it's, it's a competition of ideas in which, you know, let the best idea win out, whether it's from the left or the right or the center. A good idea is a good idea, regardless of where it comes from, so long as it, it, it is a proper solution to the problem in which it's trying to address, right? Um, the other thing I would say is politics exists in, in every arena, right? In the workplace, um, in, in your family relationships, because if we're saying, if we're defining politics as the art of relationships, uh, which, which I believe it really is when all is said and done, it, it, that, that's what it's about, you know? Uh, it's, so for example, you know, let, let's take, um, you know, a family, right? Trying to figure out what to eat for dinner. There's going to be arguments about what they want, but ultimately they'll come to come to some sort of consensus and move forward, right? Magnified, that's what we're talking about here, right? Especially when it comes to addressing the very complex systemic challenges in which we face, uh, particularly when it comes to example for, uh, you know, racial justice as an example, right? What is the best way in which we maximize liberty for all Americans? What is the best way to provide opportunities for, for everyone? Um, regardless of where they are on the socioeconomic ladder, right? Those are the debates in which we should be unafraid to engage in, uh, knowing that when all is said and done, your voice is, in, is so critically important because you're a part of this country, right? You are responsible for the direction of this country. And if you decide not to engage, that is an intentional decision in which there are also going to be results. Um, and so, you know, my advice again is, you know, lean in, don't, don't lean out, right? As difficult as it is, um, you know, we need everybody at the table if, if we're gonna continue to have a democracy that flourishes and that, act, act, that actually represents the will of the people. 
this nation was founded on this art of compromise between two different people. And that kind of brings to mind a tweet that Sean King, uh, he tweeted out, I think it was a few days ago. Uh, he said that people shouldn't be attacking other people for criticizing Joe Biden. Um, and this is a big issue right now because a lot of people are criticizing some of the things that Joe Biden has said, some of the things that he's done. And those people, they, they get socially crucified because the people want Donald Trump out of office so badly. And I guess it's understandable partly, but I think that they should be allowed to criticize Joe Biden because it's essentially the world versus Trump at this point. And we want our values and beliefs to go with the more sensible candidate. And as a Democrat, I'm going to say that that's Joe Biden. And so if we can change some of Joe Biden's acts, his beliefs, his values, the things he says, then in that case, we're also getting our, our share of representative democracy. Uh, do you agree with what Sean King says, or do you think that it should be, it should remain as polarized as it is? I completely agree with what you said. <laughs> you know, it, it, we have to remind ourselves, uh, and, and especially for me, like, you know, kind of coming out of nowhere um, and, and having the opportunity that I do, we're all just people, right? We all make mistakes. I'm imperfect. We are all imperfect. And, and I appreciate the criticism that I get because it makes me better, right? At the very least, and, and of course, I've made plenty of mistakes. I'm sure there are bills that I voted for that I wish I hadn't, right? Um, but all of that said, I think what ultimately matters, especially in this current election, is character, right? Are you going to have a leader um, who, who will respond in a positive manner to um, constructive criticism? Um, are you going to have a leader who listens uh, to people who are impacted um, by, by various issues, right? Um, are you going to have a consensus builder, someone who tries to unify people? Are you going to have a leader who wants to actually solve the problems rather than ignore reality? Um, and, and so in that regard, I think it's crystal clear who the better candidate is. Um, but one, again, I, we're not, it's impossible to have a perfect candidate. I mean, Obama was pretty close, like, don't get me wrong, because Obama was just amazing. Um, but, but when all is said and done, it's, it's fighting for better, right? That's what progress is about, right? We know where we need to get to. Um, and, and that road is long and hard. And, but, but in order to get there, it's a matter of taking it one step at a time, right? Um, and, and of course, you know, Joe Biden, if we give him an opportunity this November, you know, at most he'll be able to serve eight years, right? But what is our alternative? Because we have to understand that's also the reality in which we face. Do we want to have another four years of, of constant division um, um, amongst the American people? You know, Donald Trump has done absolutely nothing uh, to address uh, the coronavirus. It's killed more than 170,000 Americans in just a few months. And even today, 1,000 Americans a day are dying, right? And, and what, what is he saying? What is Governor Kemp saying? What are they doing? They're acting as if everything is hunky-dory, business as usual, right? That's unacceptable. And if we do nothing, right, 
that sort of behavior is not only going to continue, but it's going to get worse because now the signal that we, the people give them is, well, you know, we can't, we're, 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 we can't get involved in the political process for whatever reason. Y'all can do whatever you want. Well, look where we are today. Imagine where, how much worse it can potentially get, right? I, I don't, quite frankly, I don't know if our democracy, if our republic uh, can withstand another four years of Donald Trump and, and, and the ongoing continued assault against our democracy. Um, so again, I, I can't emphasize enough just how, how important it is for all of us to get involved. And if I can say one thing about, um, you know, high school students, right? Um, in 2016, um, you know, when no one, Democrats or Republicans, thought I had a shot at beating, you know, this very well-respected three-term Republican chairwoman, I had high school students on my campaign uh, who were some of the best organizers I'd ever seen, right? The energy that they brought, the inspiration that they brought, more than anything, the hope that they had for the future of this country in which they entrusted to me, um, you know, to, to do what's right. Um, that was invigorating. If you look throughout American history, it's always been young, pe young people stepping up and leading the fight for change. Whether it was a civil rights movement, um, you know, such as John Lewis, you know, who, who, who bled for our right to vote, or whether it's a Black Lives uh, Matter movement leaders today, um, the March for Our Lives who are fighting for common sense um, uh, gun safety in this country, right? Young people have an enormous amount of power. And, and I think it's so important for us to understand how much power we really have, and then to be wise with how we want to use it to bring about the change that we're demanding in the streets, right? But, but let, let's be clear, you, we need to have protests. We need to be demanding the change, but we, can, we also have the ability to bring about that change we are demanding. And, and the only way in which we can do that is through the, through the, by voting through the ballot box, through the electoral process, as difficult, as convoluted as it may be, if you wanna make things better, you have the power to do so by voting. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, we talked earlier about how young people should be getting involved. How do you think young people can get involved in your campaign? You're running for reelection uh, this November. How can they engage with you and get involved in your campaign? One, I would say young people are always welcome to reach out to me. Um, right now, you know, I'm in the process of helping as many other candidates as I can, as well as, you know, folks up and down the ticket from the Biden campaign to Ossoff to Reverend Warnock uh, to Congressman, uh, our, our, our future Congresswoman, uh, Carolyn Bordeaux, Lucy McBeth. Um, and, and so I would urge anybody who wants to help me to join in the work in which I'm engaged in, which is turning people out getting people registered to vote, inspiring them to use the power that they have, and then getting plugged in. Um, go to you know, georgiademocrats.org, sign up to volunteer, make a contribution, $5, $10, a dollar, you know, whatever it is, but every bit helps. More than anything, I think, you know, the message I would wanna to send to, to folks is, again, you have the power to bring about the change that you want, so use it. Um, and, and especially over these next 70, 75 days or so, you know, go all in, right? Our, our, our future is on the line. Our lives are on the line. That's not just a bunch of political rhetoric, right? That is the truth. And I think that's why I'm speaking with such urgency, because I see it. 
Um, and, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm worried because if we don't do it, right, I, you know, there's that saying where, you know, you, you hope for the best and you plan for the worst, right? Given how bad things already are, you know, I, I can't even imagine what the worst is going to be if we have another four years of Trump, right? So now is the time, right? Now is the time for us to rise up. Now is the time for us to overcome and beat back uh, the challenges in which we face. And, and I have hope in that one, we will do that. Um, and that two, we have the ability to do that today. So, so let's get it done. Representative Park, thank you so much. My pleasure. That's it for the Youth Conversation. Check out our website at johnscreekhsda.com for more information on how you can get involved. I'm Badanj Pandey. See you next time.